are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. 502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope everybody's having a great start to their week. Lance, how's your week going so far? I'm balling, Noah. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. I got the PFF College Football Preview Magazine, all 600 pages of it. Yes, the 600 pages. No, no, I'm not going to go that far. It's a lot, though, over 600 pages. And so I started on that. Read a little bit about Arkansas, which we'll talk about today a little bit. But I'm, I'm doing really well. Do you say you're balling? I'm balling every single day, every single day. And the, the reference I made was a, a Star Wars reference. It was uh, whenever Yoda burned down all the Jedi sacred text and Mark oh. Hamill, Luke was like, the sacred texts, no. These That's are fair. These are truly... Dylan Lark behind the board. He's wearing a Star Wars hat. So, did you catch that, Dylan? I did not. You did not catch that? No. Okay. Darn. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. I want to start off today's show with something interesting, an interesting topic, a little interesting nugget. The I was listening to the Max Roundtable earlier today. You can catch that from 11 to 2 on ESPN 106.7. And every weekday, you can catch it there. And I was listening to them talk, and early on in their show, I was tuning in relatively early. It was around 11 o'clock, and they were talking about championship caliber coaches. Shadow had called in to the Max Roundtable at that time and was talking about Pat Dye among some other coaches and what it would take for Auburn to have championship caliber coaches. And this is a hot take that I don't know if I've shared on this program yet, which considering our show is only now six months in, that's how old it is. But I, I thought about this a little bit and it, and it drug me along to this, to this area and I kept fleshing out the idea a bit. And this is something that I want to run by you. I want to run past our listeners. I want to hear their thoughts on this, but this is, a, this is a statement that I want to make. Dabo Sweeney is equally great for Auburn football as he is terrible for Auburn football. I think there's two opposite ends of the spectrum here. Talk about a championship caliber coach in college football that is equally great, but also equally terrible for Auburn football at the same time. And his emergence in college football, I'll start with the good side of things and explain why he's great because I think it'll be a little bit easier for me to explain why he's terrible. And this is going to take us a little bit longer, but I want to see if you follow me here. Dabo Sweeney is great for Auburn because he shows that Auburn could become or what Auburn could become under the right head coach. And what I mean by that is, do folks remember what Clemson was like before Dabo Sweeney? Do no. folks remember that? No. Like, I, it, it may just be me, but I never heard anything about Clemson being a dynasty or even being a really good football program up until Dabo got there in, like, 2008. And a younger generation of college football fans really don't know what the Clemson program was like prior to what they've experienced largely in their young adult life and whatnot. But when I look at the Clemson program pre-Dabo Sweeney, I see a much worse version of Auburn. Similar, but a much worse version of Auburn. The ACC 
and then, and then slightly worse version of Auburn. Now, I've got some statistics that I've ran through here, but all time, Auburn is 782 and 450 with 47 ties. That is a 630 all-time win percentage. Clemson, now including Dabo Sweeney's time period, is 768, 462 with 45 ties. That is a career 620 winning percentage. That is literally a difference of 14 wins and 12 losses between the two programs. Auburn with just a hundredth of a, of, of a better winning percentage than Clemson all-time. Auburn is 13th and Clemson is 14th in all-time wins hmm. among current FBS programs, which these are some statistics. I got these off of Winsopedia. You can go and compare teams. They do a great job of tracking all-time metrics, being able to compare teams, also series history and whatnot. You can go and check that out on Winsopedia. Not Wikipedia, Winsopedia. Great website. Clemson just had one national championship, before Dabo Sweeney, worse than Auburn. Clemson has played in 47 bowl games, whereas Auburn has played in 45. And I wonder if that number is skewed just a bit because of Clemson playing in the college football playoff. Mm. Do they have more bowl game appearances now because they've been to more playoffs than Auburn because Auburn hasn't even been to a playoff yet? You look at consensus All-Americans, the exact same amount, 31 really? consensus All-Americans all time between the two programs. Auburn actually has been in the AP poll more weeks than Clemson all-time by a total of 593 to 469. These two programs, extremely similar. You look at Clemson, prior to Dabo Sweeney, Clemson, there was even a term for this. It was called Clemsoning. They, they, they had the, this idea of being so close but falling at the end. They were just kind of an above-average team in the Atlantic Coast Conference, and when you look at their metrics all time and you see these statistics that I brought before you, very similar to Auburn right now, but they hire a wide receivers coach by the name of Dabo Sweeney, and now all of a sudden, Clemson is the second-best dynasty that college football has seen currently in the last decade. There's Alabama, and then there's Clemson, and then I would say Ohio State is right after it at three when you're looking at what they have achieved on the national national stage over the last decade. It goes Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. Those three teams are all pretty much on the same level. Alabama and Clemson, maybe you should say, are in their own tier based off of national championships. So explain to me how this is both beneficial and both detrimental to Auburn. So when I was listening to the roundtable earlier, which really enjoy the show and I encourage people to check it out. If you're looking for something to listen to in your midday, looking for something to listen to at lunch, check it out. Once again, that's 11 to 2 on ESPN 106.7. You can hear that here locally. You can also hear it in Montgomery on ESPN The Ticket. But what I found interesting about their conversation, and Shadow was the one who prompted this when he called in, he was talking about, you know, is Brian Harson just another 8-4 and four head coach? Or is he a coach that can take Auburn to, like, what is a national championship caliber coach at Auburn? What does that look like? Have we ever seen that before? Because despite the fact that Gene Chizik won a national championship, would you say he's, on average, a championship caliber coach? No, I, I would not say Would you say is. Gus Malzahn was? No. Would you say Tommy Tuberville was? No. Would you say Terry Bowden was? No. And would you say Pat Dye was? I would say yeah. yes, but he didn't win a national championship. And that was kind of where there was a hotly contested debate. And and I would say that, on average, Pat Dye had Auburn right there in the conversation. So, yes, he was a championship-caliber coach. But what I'm getting at here is we're a long ways removed from when Pat Dye resigned as Auburn's football coach at the end of his dominant run 
in the 1980s. We're a long way removed from that. So what does a championship caliber coach look like at Auburn? And folks out there, you look at predictions all over the place. You and I have talked about this. The predictions all over the place right now have Auburn sitting at 6-6, six and 7-5 six, and five this year. And you're trying to find somebody out there that just believes that there's an ounce that this program can go to the next level. And Auburn fires Gus Malzahn to hire Brian Harson to bring Auburn to the next level. And the common criticism is his location, where he came from, his credentials, because he's from Boise State. And folks wonder, can this guy get Auburn there? And my thing is, you look at Dabo Sweeney. Dabo Sweeney was a wide receivers coach at Clemson. And he took Clemson. And as I've already shown, Clemson's program, worst place of where Auburn's is at currently when he took over. And he took them to be one of the best dynasties that we've seen in the last 20 years. I think it's very possible for Auburn to achieve what Clemson has achieved. Will it happen under Brian Harson? I'm not sure. But I, I think it's very possible. But you got to feel more comfortable about it based on Harson's track record, right, compared to some of these other coaches that you've been talking about. I mean, you, you, you dominate your conference at Boise State. You've been an OC at Texas. You've been an OC at, at Arkansas State, I believe, or was he the head coach there? At, at Arkansas State was Harson the OC. he was the head coach he was the head coach so he, he had, took over right after Gus Malzahn so he has experience he has experience doing do at the at the 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 top level he he's been a head coach before and he dominated at Boise and last time we saw Auburn bring in a guy from the Mountain West if I if I am correct it was Pat Dye he he had Auburn consistently competing for national titles. I'm not. I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm not saying that this is exactly what's going to happen because they both came from the same area of 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 the country. But you have to be confident as an Auburn fan based on Hartson's track record compared to not only some of the coaches that Auburn's hired in the past, but some dominant coaches that have been hired all across college football. Namely, as we're talking about right now, Debo Swinney. So there are a lot of different ways to look at this positively. I think. As far as Auburn's situation heading into 2021 with Harson, compared to all the ways you can look at it negatively, the more I'm looking into it, the more I feel good and confident based on what this coaching staff's doing and based on history. And I think Dabo Sweeney is a great thing for college football, and I've been saying this for years now since the Clemson program has risen to its prominence in the last decade under, under Dabo Sweeney. And I say it's good for college football because, once again, I go back to Dabo Sweeney proves that a program can join the ranks of the nation's most prestigious they can become the royalty in college football the american dream of college football can occur it does exist Dabo sweeney built the clemson program from scratch it feels like of course clemson a good ACC program historically. I mean, it's 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 not like they were the bottom feeders of the ACC or anything like that. But when I say build it from scratch, I mean he built the championship pedigree from scratch. There is not a championship pedigree at Clemson prior to Dabo Sweeney getting there, at least not on the national stage. He builds the support. He builds the brand. He builds the facilities that we see today. He builds the recruiting track record that he's got today. And then ultimately the results come. He builds all that in terms of what he has done on the national stage from scratch during this time period, which is something before that I don't think that we've ever seen. Think about all the programs that traditionally succeed and have built these dynasties on a decade-to-decade basis. What teams have we seen do it? We saw Florida do it at the end of the 2000s. That is one of the most prestigious programs in college football history. Alabama has done it at multiple decades. You've seen 
USC do it. Another, one of the most prestigious programs in college football history, Ohio State. When people are talking about parity in college football, Clemson is an example of it being able to occur. It's funny, you know, there's the the quote in Batman, you either die a hero or you live long enough to become a villain. Clemson has become a villain in college football because of their continued success. But if anything, people should be happy that it occurred because because it is proof that this can happen to other teams in college football. And exactly to to that point, Auburn is one of those prestigious schools in my mind. I don't think they're up there as far as like blue blood status, like elite. They're not Ohio State. They're not Ohio State. Not Alabama. You look at their recruiting trail, you look at what they've been able to do historically, they still are a very, very talented team. They're top 15 wins all time among current FBS programs. Give them a championship caliber coach, and you know what he's going to do? He's going to win championships. I believe Harson could potentially be that guy because, again, look at their track record. Look at what history says. Look at what Swin- Swinney's doing at Clemson. It could all happen. There's way more scenarios where this could go fantastic and Auburn could rise to blue blood status than Harson being out in two or three years. I just find it interesting that, and this wasn't on the roundtable, that just like made me think of this, but I just find it interesting how often people like to bash on Clemson, whereas I think they've actually been really good for college football because Dabo Sweeney provides Alabama with competition, whereas they didn't have that in the early 2010s. He provides it to them starting around 2015 is where the Clemson program really took off on the national stage. He provides competition for Alabama. Ohio State has done the same thing during this stretch. I think that this is a good thing for college football, and equally I think you can equate that to it can be a good thing for Auburn if they can achieve, if they can get the right head coach. Under the right head coach, Dabo Sweeney shows what Auburn could become because there are a lot of similarities between those two football programs historically. And if it can happen at Clemson, it can happen at Auburn. There's, there needs to be a hierarchy in college football in order for it to be entertaining to watch. Now, I'm not saying that that means there needs to be two or three teams that constantly win every single year and they're the best teams. There should be a little bit of parity, but there should be teams at the top. I see a lot of memes floating around on Instagram and Twitter. It's like, man, college football was so good back in 2014 whenever Ole Miss, Auburn, and Florida State were all good. And I I wonder, like, why? But the more you think about it, it's like, well, they were competing with the Clemsons, the Alabamas, and the Ohio States of the world. And there was, it felt like there was more parody it was fun college football and clemson is an example of parody but who won the national championship in 2014 it was the four seed ohio state exactly there's (laughs) parody like i'd like to be able to go back to that time and i'd really like to see a team like auburn step up into that national spotlight and and compete year in and year out because you know what's going to happen if auburn somehow knocks off alabama in the iron bowl and they slip if Alabama does in another time in the regular season, they're done. They're not making the playoff. Well, they might because it's expanding, but if they don't expand it, Alabama's going to be knocked out, therefore allowing parity. Equally as terrible for college football could be what Dabo Sweeney could become because I think he will be the next head coach at Alabama. And that's where this could be become a terrible thing for Auburn. This could become a terrible thing for the rest of college football because if there's one coach in college football right now that I trust will continue the Alabama dynasty, it's Dabo Sweeney. If he was able to do what he did at Clemson with Alabama's resources in the future, based on what Nick Saban has built, Dabo Sweeney just has to avoid running into the ground. 
It's just picking up right where he left off. And my thing is, some folks out there are going to be like, hey, why would he go to Alabama? Clemson's just as good as them now. They're recruiting just as well. The facilities are just as good. Why would you want to follow Nick Saban? All these things. Fine. I get that. Those are all valid points. But still, we know how much this dude loved Alabama during his time there. A player for Gene Stallings. We know that he had a good relationship with Gene Stallings. Move on, though. When Alabama comes calling, when this, because Alabama, as long as Davis Sweeney's still the head coach at Clemson, continues to do what he's doing and doesn't fall apart, which I don't think he will, Alabama's going to come calling when Nick Saban retires, which will happen over the next eight years. And Dabo Sweeney is still relatively young in his college football head coaching career. When Alabama comes calling, there's no way, it just in my mind, I just cannot imagine a situation where Dabo Sweeney doesn't at least answer the call, pick up the phone and say, yeah, I'll come take a tour, right? I'll come and hear you guys out. I'll come step on campus and talk to you. Just out of respect. That's his alma mater. Your alma mater calls, you listen, right? That, that will happen. And I was talking with Jacob, which... Enter Jacob not here with us today, but still, I was talking with Jacob over at lunch, and Jacob was like, I wonder when the last time was that he was actually on Alabama's campus, like spent some time there. What happens when he steps on campus and they start the sales pitch? And they tap into the to, to you know to his sentimental feelings and, and reminding him of the past and that he could become the next great Alabama coach, something he maybe dreamt about you know, however long ago it was ago, back in the 90s when he was there with Gene Stallings, right? Something that maybe they tap into this, some sentimental portion of his brain that makes him be like, yeah, this is this is an opportunity that I have to take, right? And Debo Swinney may be saying right now, I love Clemson. I'm, I'm, I'm here for life. He doesn't want to talk about that kind of stuff. But what happens when he picks up the phone and the sales pitch begins, right? I'm curious to see the trajectory of both these programs heading towards the end of Saban's career and heading towards what Clemson could be doing with Swinney after Saban retires. I'm interested to see if Clemson's still consistently competing year in and year out in the college football playoff, or maybe if they've dropped off a little bit, because if they have dropped off a little bit, I I agree. I I see a scenario where Alabama comes calling and and Swinney cannot say anything but yes. I'm going to take it a step further. I don't think Clemson goes anywhere. The way that they're recruiting right now, they play in the ACC. There's no real competitor to them in the ACC. They should be a shoe-in for the playoff year in and year out. They should be one of the most secure teams, if not the most secure team for the college football playoff every single season. Because the ACC just cannot provide a legitimate opponent. And Notre Dame's not even in the ACC this year, right? Notre Dame gave them the most competition that we've seen in years. And now they're gone again, right? So, like, who in the ACC can actually keep those guys from making it? This is just a year where we're thinking maybe because they got to play Georgia in the non-conference schedule. Well, they're not going to do that year in and year out. I think a more important question to ask is what does the Clemson program look like after Dabo Sweeney? leaves to go to Alabama that's interesting because we don't know what Miami's going to look like Mac Brown is not going to be coaching at North Carolina for very long I'm very curious to see what Florida State does as they progress but they're not going to be able to stabilize for the next four or five seasons because of quarterback issues and offensive line issues and just straight up just coaching issues and Louisville has not been able to succeed consistently there's not a lot going on in the ACC powerhouse-wise outside of Clemson. So once he does leave, that is an interesting question to pose. Everybody's the, the question that everybody asks right now is, what does the Alabama dynasty look like after Nick Saban? I think it's a more prudent question to ask, what does the Clemson dynasty look like when Nick Saban retires? What does that look like? What does parity look like because, in college football? Because I think Dabo Sweeney is going to end up in Tuscaloosa, and then does Clemson 
continue to produce like they're doing Mm -hmm. do they replace Dabo Sweeney with as good of a head coach I think it's a lot more likely that the Clemson dynasty falls apart when Nick Saban retires than the Alabama dynasty falls apart when Nick Saban retires Uh, that's a nobody's ever I've never heard somebody else say that I think that that is a legitimate thing for people to look at I really really like that take I really like that take and you would hope you would hope that another team emerges by that time, another team from maybe the Big Ten or the SEC that can become a powerhouse because if 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 Saban's gone and Swinney stays and Clemson falls, there's going to need to be another team of the landscape that can compete with Alabama. NBA analogy here, and of course it didn't really hurt the NBA that much in the Eastern Conference this year, but it could in the future. And I think, and, and Dabo Swinney maybe doesn't have the same success that Nick Saban does even if he goes to Alabama but it's like LeBron James leaves the Eastern Conference who comes into the Eastern Conference Kevin Durant right right you trade one amazing player for a slightly younger and more lethal scorer in Kevin Durant right now not nearly as good of a team basketball player or winner as LeBron James is at least by himself right and which is evidenced by the fact that the Brooklyn Nets were eliminated this year but still it's like it's kind of like that in the NBA it's like you're LeBron James now Kevin Durant's in right and that's what stinks for Auburn and why Dabo Sweeney's emergence at Clemson in the ACC is a particular problem like if this had happened at Ohio State I don't think this is a problem because I don't think Alabama's going to be able to take the Ohio State head coach if he had a if, if he didn't have a connection to Alabama right like the right. fact that Dabo Sweeney has a connection to Alabama is what really hurts Auburn in this situation but it's just some interesting thoughts and things that were running through my mind today at lunch that I wanted to share. I, I, I don't know. Maybe, not overly pertinent to anything going on, but I, I still find it interesting. I think it's a really, really interesting take, and it gives me hope for Auburn in the future, actually, because, I, because I'm excited to see what Harson does, and I think that he has en- enough of a track record to take this championship-caliber program to a championship. Let's take a quick break here. We went long on our first segment. We'll come back in just a few moments. We saw the first MLB pitcher ejected under the new sticky substance rule at the MLB. We'll talk about what that means when we come back. You're listening to On the Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun show so far. We are Already 24 minutes in. We got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer coming up at 2.30, as he does every Tuesday. Stay tuned for that. If you want to call in, number to call, 334-321-1390. Also, our text line, if you want to text into the show, 334-564-1840. If you want to text into On The Line, once again, 334-564-1840. Find us on Twitter, at PointGardner, at Pound. A plethora of ways for you to get in contact with the show and share your opinions. We welcome them all. So, once again, call or text in or tweet at us. We saw the first MLB pitcher ejected under this new rule. Recently, actually, a new CBS Sports article, 15 minutes ago actually, just said that Hector Santiago has been suspended for 10 games under the MLB's new sticky substance rules. He does say that he will appeal. And after he was ejected over the weekend, I believe it was on Sunday, he said that all he was using was sweat and rosin. They wrap up the glove, they send it to New York, and now we find out that he's being suspended. Interesting situation here developing. This is a situation that I want to continue to follow because this is the first guy that we've seen it as the MLB is trying to curb this substance. And you and I have been kind of critical of how the MLB has handled the situation, namely with situations like Max Scherzer or whatnot, mm-hmm. the the feelings behind it, you don't want folks cheating, right? You want right. people doing the right thing. So I, 
the the heart is in the right place just sometimes execution and whatnot i'm interested to see what happens here with hector santiago yeah they're the mlb's acting like they're using stinking gorilla glue out there to to uh to grip the ball better and you and i well spider tack i mean <laughs> it kind of is you you me and jacob have been talking at length about this and i here's my stance on it sweat rosin sunscreen i think those are all good and fine i think it's perfectly fine acceptable no it's it's not it shouldn't be illegal it shouldn't even be in question but I think you should once you get into some of that spider tack and other things like that and these players going in and mixing things up that are not rosin or sunscreen and and, and using those to their advantage I I don't see I don't see how it, it can be fair to other teams to continue to allow that to happen that being said the way the MLB has gone about it has not been incredibly I don't want to say professional, but it's been aggressive to the point where it's like, okay, everybody chill. Like, it's not the end of the world. Honestly, if if they were allowing substances, I wouldn't be mad at it. I would I would just be like, okay, this is the way the game is. If everybody wants to elevate their game, then they should they should use it as well. But isn't that kind of the same argument that folks had if they were pro like steroids? I've talked to a few people that are like that. Now I'm definitely not pro steroids, but I mean that's kind of like the same argument right does it make it more entertaining is the question I don't think I don't think p- pitching betters makes the game more entertaining so I would say I would say that there's a majority of people out there that would probably be in favor of getting rid of sub of uh, sticky substances but I am too I, I mean I don't I don't, I don't want to see it in the game if it's you know if it's unfair for one side which it definitely seems to be unfair for one side but there have been good arguments made for sunscreen and rosin and whatnot. And rosin is allowed, but there have been good arguments made for sunscreen under this rule, especially in terms of trying to be able to prevent injuries. You saw Glass now and what he said about it. It's all interesting. And, and I, I want to continue. I want to see if it works, though. I think it's going to work. I think if enough guys get suspended under this and they indeed were using foreign substances and the MLB gets it right, I think it's going to work. Guys will eventually stop doing it. So maybe that's why the MLB's coming at it hard. And I, I, I don't lay bl- the law, right? I don't blame them for it, but pulling a pitcher four or five times in one of in like in the middle of his inning. You're like, talking about Scherzer. Right. You can't do things like that. Like that's not acceptable. Let the man play the game. Yeah, then when he walks off the field, check right. It. So, which I believe is what happened with Santiago when he came out of the game, they ejected him. Okay, that's fine. But you, you and I have talked about this. Check him when he goes to the bullpen or the dugout. Check him while he's leaving the bullpen or the dugout. It's not that hard. Don't pull him while he's in the middle of his game, in the middle of his flow. You don't play. You don't in the middle of an offensive drive for football. You don't all of a sudden stop the play. For whatever reason, if they're if 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 it's Auburn, like they're no hurry, uh, no huddle, hurry up offense. If they're in the middle of just running the ball, running the ball, running the ball, you don't fake an injury just to stop it. I mean, that's just not that's not fair to anybody. If you are in the middle of a basketball game and you are running up and down the court, it's not fair to hack somebody on the arm whenever they have a clear path to the bucket. It's like if you were in the middle of a baseball game and a pitcher is playing out of his mind, you don't stop him just because you think he's got sticky substance. You take him out of his flow, you take him out of his momentum, and you ruin the 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 opportunity that the, that that team had to win. That being said, if he is cheating, you need to do it during while he's leaving the dugout and while he's going. I'm going to keep following this along as they go because he is going to appeal, and I want to see what happens. I want to see how this 
carries out what, what the MLB's got, what evidence and whatnot. I just want to see. It, it's interesting. This is the first time it's happened, and it, it kind of sets a precedent moving forward. But we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer coming up at 2.30 on the other side of this break. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Head of the phone lines now, we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer with us here this Tuesday afternoon. Justin, how's your Tuesday going? That's all right. How are y'all? We're doing good. You enjoying the soccer out there? We've gotten to the knockout stage of the Euros. There was, a good, there was good fun earlier. Germany's out. Yeah, uh, yesterday was pretty wild, if, in case anybody didn't see it. Uh, he had two teams come back from 3-1 down uh, in the final minutes and then force extra time. And then in the second one, you got the defending world champions losing on, on penalty kicks because uh, only one guy missed it. So, I mean, it's been it's been a whole lot of fun. Uh, it's been a pretty chaotic uh, Euro because of the scheduling and guys being tired and all that. And so it's, it's made for some entertaining, uh, entertaining stuff. Yeah, it's hard to believe that we are, we've reached a point now where France, Portugal, and Germany, all three of them, they're out. Like, that is not – those those three teams not eligible to win. Like, that is just – that is outrageous. Maybe this could be England's year, actually. But let's look, let's talk a little Auburn football here and on the recruiting trail and venturing into the transfer portal. Folks want to link Auburn to Demetrius Robertson out of Georgia. How legit is this? Yeah, I mean, I, I, haven't, I haven't heard anything kind of really strong about that one way or other i think that's kind of the same thing as the the Dari rosenthal uh news out of, out of lsu it's just like okay it's a position to need it's a guy in the sec makes a lot of sense and you know i, I wouldn't be surprised if armor goes after these guys um in the portal because they are of need but like those are going to be pretty hot ticket items uh in the portal and um very interested with robertson because you know he hasn't really lived up to the hype that he had had coming out of high school when going to Cal and then going to Georgia. But um, I think Rosenthal is a really interesting case. A lot of people are already linking him to just go to LSU and follow – I mean, go to Baylor and follow that LSU staff, some of those guys that were there during the national title year that that, that went over, uh, you know, with Dave Aranda. Uh, so it's going to be fascinating to watch. I think, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to hear Auburn going after these guys, you know, making offers, but like – uh, these these are going to be premium spots, especially this late in the in the cycle, and so um, you know they'll have a, they'll have plenty of competition. And I think in the case of Rosenthal, especially, it's just there's already a clear cut leader for him. It sounds like we posted a graphic today on our Twitter account asking about tight ends and will a tight end exceed last year's total stats for all of the tight ends. Last year, the tight ends combined for 20 catches and 178 yards and no touchdowns. Do you envision in this new Auburn scheme one tight end? being able to do better than the stats from last year's group entirely. Yeah, I think it'll be close in terms of catches, but I do think yards is definitely a yards and actually having someone score a touchdown catch from the tight end spot is definitely possible. Uh, if you look back one of the crazier stats from, um, you know, the, the, the transition to Brian Harson is that every year he was a head coach at Boise state. He had two tight ends catch double digit balls in a season. Um, and we know that at Auburn, you have not seen that since C.J. Uzama. There has not been an Auburn receiver get double uh, tight end, pure out and out tight end, get double di- double digit uh, receptions uh, in a season since since Uzama. So, you know, I think it's definitely possible. I think the way this offense is going to work and the usage of tight ends, you're going to see these guys be more uh, receivers, uh, receiving options. They're going to go out for or passes a whole lot more than they did under Gus Malzahn. 
Um, one guy catching 20 or more would be interesting. I think somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to kind of step up at that position group. But I think yardage and, t- and, t- and having a touchdown, I think, will be a pretty uh, easy call to make. Just knowing the uh, just knowing the t- the ways that these that these coaches like to use tight ends in their past, just very different than what we've seen uh, from Auburn in, in in the last really the last decade or so. And so I'm gonna be very interested to see who kind of steps up in that capacity. I don't think anybody's going to turn into Kyle Pitts. I don't think Auburn's going to turn into Iowa overnight in terms of how they use their tight ends. But I think this could be the beginning of, of, of a run at the position where you see them become, you know, maybe your third or fourth best receiving options on the team, especially with all the inexperience they have at wide receiver this season. Well, definitely Auburn does have their fair share of tight ends on the roster this season. They've got a lot of guys that they can choose from, and if Grant Calicatera had stayed instead of transferring to SMU, Auburn would be absolutely loaded at that position. My question to you, Justin, is who is the guy that could emerge as that pass catcher? John Samuel Schenker hasn't been exactly known for his route running during his time at Auburn. Luke Deal's been more of a blocker. Do we see Tyler Fromm or Brandon Frazier get more involved in this offense? I mean, who is your guy? Yeah, I think Fromm and Frazier have really good chances to become weapons in this offense. I think Frazier is definitely someone you could see in certain situations, uh, personnel-wise, where maybe red zone, uh, even splitting him out wide. He's just a really good pass catcher, and he's got size you just can't teach, and you don't have uh, very many dudes like that on your roster. Um, but if you're looking for the guy that I think has a really good shot at breaking out this season at the tight end position, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Luke Deal. Uh, we saw him play a decent bit. In spring practices, I uh, watched a couple practices where I thought he looked really well, uh, looked really good at catching the ball, uh, some, some solid route running. He's a pretty athletic guy. Uh, at Auburn, he has just been a tight end to block, and, uh, and he was one of Auburn's best blockers, period, last season, especially on the perimeter. Um, I think they'll continue using him to do that, uh, to do that kind of stuff with J.J. Fagese moving to defensive line. Uh, Deal looks like the guy, if they want to go fullback, he would be the uh, option as well. So I think he's going to get on the field a decent bit. And Deal's just, I mean, now that he's kind of come back from his injury, he's, he's very athletic. Um, people may uh, for, forget that when he was in high school, he played some quarterback. I mean, he is a guy that is very athletic for his size. He's about 6'6", 240, something like that. So he's got that prototype tight end size, really good blocker, which will get you opportunities to get on the field more often if you do the dirty work. And then you can get some of the some of the shine as being a receiver. So, uh, I mean, I think Shanker is the leader of the position in terms of age and experience. I think Frazier uh, and Fromm are very interesting uh, players in certain situations. I even think you could see if he continues to make progress he did in the spring. I could see Landon King uh, possibly trying to fight for some from playing time this year. But I really, really have my eye uh, closely on Luke Deal from everything I've heard this offseason about it. Looking at the running back position with Tank Bigsby, we saw yesterday PFF announce him as first team, for, all first team for the for for them across all of college football. What are the odds that Tank Bigsby can end up as an All-American at the end of the year? Yeah, it's going to be tough because I think, uh, you know, All-American, when you look at an All-American running back, you think of a guy who is leading the way on an offense that is one of the best in the country. And I think Auburn's got an uphill battle there at running back. I think when you see – or on offense. I think when you see kind of why Tank Bigsby's uh, an All-American running back, I think he's definitely got the talent for it for sure. Um, but, you know, we just saw this just grand exodus of running back talent in college football uh, with guys like Travis Etienne, uh, Najee Harris, uh, the, the backs from North Carolina, Chuba Hubbard, um, you know, Trey Sermon, these guys going to the next level. When you have that, um, there's just not a whole lot of established running backs coming back in, in college football. I think uh, you've got uh, 
You've got Brees Hall at Iowa State is a, is a big one everybody's looking at. And, of course, you know, Kevin Harris at South Carolina. And, um, you know, there's some other ones that are going to, you know, turn some heads uh, even in the SEC this year. But I think Tank, the yards per carry he put up last season as a freshman in an offense that wasn't that great uh, was really, really intriguing. And I think people are kind of seeing, okay, well, they're going to run the ball downhill in this type of offense. That, that's going to fit his game really well. And I, I tend to agree. I just wonder – is Auburn going to be successful enough as a team for for somebody like Tank Bigsby to get All-American type honors by the end of the season? That's my only problem because I think he's got the talent for it. I don't think there's a ton of proven commodities above him in college football this season. And, uh, man, I think he's going to be a really special special player. But unless he comes out and kind of like puts up stupid numbers this season, um, I think, you know, unless Auburn has a really good year uh, in the win-loss column, um, you know, it might be a little bit tougher for him to get that All-American shine. So I think this preseason honor from a place like PFF that relies on their own grades and their own, um, you know, statistics, I think is just a sign of, you know, the respect that uh, the numbers give to him. Well, you talk about another Auburn player earning honors, and it's obviously not as significant as potentially earning an All-American spot, but Jarquez Hunter earning Iron Man of the Week for the Tigers. What does this say to you, Justin? Is it is it significant enough to, to project Hunter getting more in the regular season, or do you think Shivers is going to hold that two spot? Yeah, I think Shivers will hold that two spot, but you need, you need somebody else, right? You need somebody additionally to to come in you need to have at least three maybe even four running backs in the sec to survive uh, an entire season and i think jark was hunter i mean look man he's a, he's a, he's a freak show athletically uh, kind of an under the radar guy but you watch his high school film he was a big play machine um he does some stuff you know with you know his power and his speed that's pretty impressive uh, i remember a few months ago the video of him uh dunking a basketball at his size, wearing boots. I mean, like this is—he's just very explosive, very athletic uh, guy. And so uh, that work ethic really shining through early uh, in, in in workouts, as grueling as they've been, that that says a lot. Um, and I think running back is one of those positions where you can come in right away and contribute. We saw Tank Bigsby do that last year, and we've seen plenty of guys do that over the years at Auburn. It's just one of those positions where it's probably more plug and play at the college level than any other. Um, so. You know, I, I think the the one-two punch of Bigsby and Shivers is strong in SEC, but like you're going to have to have somebody else. You're going to have to have a third guy in certain games, and you need to have somebody step up in case there are injuries. Now, Devin Barrett's still making his way back. You know, he didn't play football at all last season, and he's trying to transition back to the running back spot. That's going to take some time. And then, you, you know, you get a transfer from Central Michigan and uh, Duran Ingram, and that's you know he's he's a guy that's kind of like Hunter and that they're kind of starting with a clean slate because he didn't play last season. So um, you know I think it's a really good sign for Hunter to go ahead and make quite an impression. So the coaching staff, strength and conditioning staff, gives him that honor right away. And I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him kind of emerge as an option behind what you have in Big Steen Shivers as that established one-two punch. Speaking with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. Let's head to the NBA scene for just a moment. JT Thor was calling some interest from late lottery teams in order to get some workouts with the Pacers, the Hornets, the Pelicans. Do you think his draft stop may be even increasing into the top 20 now? Where do you think his range falls? Yeah, I think he could get in the top 20. I think, you know, that back half of the lottery, um, you know, once you go outside of the elite, elite prospects in this draft, you know, I think he talent-wise he and upside-wise, he's definitely – you know, late lottery, early, you know, back half of the first round kind of guy. Um, because, 
the thing with J.C. Thor is this. There are only a few people on the planet who are that tall and that athletic. Uh, he shot better from deep than any guy, any big man at the Combine this past week. He's going to test through the roof. I mean, his, his dimensions, he's got, you know, he's, he's like Giannis in terms of his, his wingspan and height and athleticism for a guy that age. And he's young. He is super young. And that's one of those things where if you're trying to find somebody, if you're a late lottery team that you feel like you're on the, on the verge of breaking through and making a playoff run, or if you're one of these teams that, are, that was in the playoffs this season, you'd be like, you know what? I don't need somebody right now. I don't need a superstar right now to change the fortunes of my franchise. We've got a roster that's either close or contending already. What I would love to do, if you're you know, in the mind of a GM, they would say kind of what I want to do is maybe we can pick this guy. And if he was on a normal timeline where he didn't uh, you know, reclassify and get a year early in advance, he'd probably be a lottery type of talent. Um, so just kind of steal one. And I think a lot of people are seeing him as nothing but upside. And you get to control every single part of his development. It is like getting a guy straight out of high school. Um, and we know the NBA loves upside and potential more than anything else. His athleticism is through the roof, and he's got plenty – of years left before he hits his peak as a basketball player. So I think, you know, he's going to have a ton of people interested in him. If he continues to test well and work out well, wouldn't be surprised at all to see him even go late lottery. Justin, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all your great content. Yeah, AuburnObserver.com. Check it out there. I uh, wrote some about JT Thorne and Sharif Cooper today in the newsletter, so you can check that out there. Uh, yesterday did a breakdown of uh, Holden Garner, who's going to the 11 this week. Uh, so I think Auburn fans uh, can be excited about his upside as a, as a quarterback um, for the Tigers in the future. Uh, you can check that out. Like I said, AuburnObserver.com. Sign up there. $6 a month or $60 a year. Uh, gets you access to everything we've got going on. Uh, we email all of our stories straight to your inbox, and we do a couple podcasts a week as well that you can listen to if you're a subscriber. So check it out there, and uh, follow me on Twitter at JFergusonAU. Justin, I appreciate it, my man. I hope you enjoyed the soccer and enjoy your evening. Absolutely. Y'all be good. That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on the line with us. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll wrap up hour number one. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Big thank you there to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us here in hour number one of On the Line. Before we wrap up hour number one here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. It's the fifth edition of Auditions on America's Got Talent from 7 to 9 on NBC. Some movie selections for tonight. Here's a good conversation starter. If you could take one thing to a deserted island, what would it be? Think about it while you watch Castaway at 6 on Freeform. 2019's Men in Black International is on FX at 6.30. Ever played hooky? Ferris Bueller's Day Off is on IFC at 7. In live sports, it's a pivotal game for in the NBA playoffs, between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Atlanta Hawks. The Bucks are up 2-1 in the series with tonight's game at 7.30 on TNT. Game 2 of the College World Series final is on ESPN at 6. Vanderbilt took Game 1 over Mississippi State with the Commodores looking to take the national championship with a win tonight. Tuesday night, MLB baseball is out on the West Coast with an NL West rivalry between the San Francisco Giants and the Los Angeles Dodgers at 9 on ESPN. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Wrapping up hour number one here of On the Line. An, an interesting point to note about earlier, we were talking about Hector Santiago, the first MLB pitcher to be ejected and now suspended 
under the MLB's new sticky substance rule. Some clarification here. Jason Stark, the senior baseball writer for The Athletic, put out some of these tweets. Hector Santiago is appealing his 10-game suspension stemming from his sticky substance ejection Sunday. His challenge, colon, rule says that any ejection carries automatic suspension if umpires find anything sticky. So there was no MLB testing to determine the substance on his glove. His tweets continue from MLB's announcement, quote, the umpiring crew shall be the sole judge as to whether the rules have been violated, end quote. And then this is his commentary on it. So once the umpires determine there is reason to eject him, the suspension is automatic, which the suspension is 10 games. One more quote from MLB's memo on this topic from Jason Stark on Twitter. Go and find him on Twitter at JasonST. Quote, players ejected from the game will be suspended automatically in accordance with the rules. I find this interesting that the suspension comes without MLB testing of the glove, especially considering the glove was sent to New York. That doesn't... I, I find it interesting that the, that the umpires are the sole judge of whether or not... This man is suspended? Exactly. That, essentially. That's... I have a slight problem with that. Why did they send it to New York then? Yeah. It's like, oh, well, we see some Gorilla Glue here on this glove. Might as well ship it to New York. It was, okay, why? It's like, I don't know. It was fun. <laughs> it was fun to do. I don't, I don't get that too much because umpires could be wrong, right? You only get to ship a glove in a, in a, he, in a hefty bag only once in your life to New York. <laughs> Might as well do it now. I... I I don't know. I'm right in saying that, right? Like, they could be wrong, couldn't they? Could right. the umpires be wrong? Yeah. And, of course, that's what the appeal's going through, and maybe the MLB is testing it. And I'm, I'm, and I said this earlier, I'm for the MLB coming in and laying the law, right? Like, if you're in a leadership position, and maybe you have people underneath you, like, you probably do need to come in strict first rather than giving leeway because people take advantage of that kind of thing. you got to get respect. You have to have... Yeah, people need to follow the rules, right? They need to see that there are consequences to not following the rules. So I like that aspect of this. I think the MLB's heart is in the right place. But some of the execution here, I am questioning. <laughs> it, like with what happened with Max Scherzer and his start the other day against the Nationals, uh, not against the Nationals, against the Phillies, because Max Scherzer pitches for the Nationals, of course. But And then this case here with Hector Santiago, I find it quite interesting that there's no like even testing that takes place before a suspension is even doled out. Like It's all on the umpires. Doesn't make sense to me. None whatsoever. We've got a text here. Do you want to wait until hour number two to answer it? Because we could we could take about four or five minutes to answer this question. You want to go ahead and hit it now? Go ahead and tell me what it is. We'll answer it in hour number two. This is from Austin. Should Auburn fans be concerned from the lack of commits, or should we just let the coaching staff have time to prove peers wrong? And this is something that you and I have talked about and I've expressed my concerns over. Text line, the number to text us, and this is what Lance is referring to. We've got a text from someone out there. If you want to text us on the show, 334-564-1840. Also, if you're listening to the podcast wherever you get your podcast, if that's how you are taking in today's show after the fact, text us as well. We'll take a look at it, and we'll talk about it on the next show. Absolutely. I'm, I'm more more than open to getting some texts and getting y'all's thoughts. Would love to have some discussion, even about this topic. Are, are, are other fans concerned about the amount of commits that Auburn has? They've only got three in the class right now. I was talking about that a little bit yesterday, I believe. I was saying I'm not exactly all the way on Auburn just getting 15 recruits like by the time that the, the, the season gets here, but I'd at least like to see one guy commit, right? Maybe even more than one guy. 
especially considering guys will be making their decisions by the high school football season beginning. You'd like to see Auburn hit. We'll touch on that topic when we come back to start hour number two. You're listening to On the Line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Solid first hour of the show. Followed a little bit about what's going on with Hector Santiago and the MLB. Talked with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. If you missed any of hour number one, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We start out hour number two with our text line, 334-564-1840. That is how you text in to On the Line. Lance, we've got a text in, and we want to hear from this individual. Austin texted us. Yeah, we mentioned this briefly as we were going to break at the bottom of the hour there, and this was Austin's question. Should Auburn fans be concerned from the lack of commits, or should we just let the coaching staff have time to prove peers wrong? War Eagle. War Eagle Austin, thank you for texting the text line. Again, if y'all want to hit us up with any thoughts, 334-564-1840. And this is something, again, that you and I have talked about a little bit on the show. And I actually asked yesterday, I was like, should I be concerned? Because I was like, I- I'm-, I'm worried because Auburn's not found that first guy yet. We thought it could potentially be ba- maybe a guy like uh, Michael Riley Ducker, but he is probably leaning toward Iowa right now, from what I understand. I'd love to see him commit to the Tigers, but I, I don't know if he he will I just want to see that first guy and that will make me feel more comfortable heading into football season I'm not asking for a million players to commit because obviously teams like Alabama only have eight but I want to see that first dude and I don't know when that's going to be I just want it to be soon this is I like this question a lot we've had this a little bit over the last couple weeks and I'm glad this question's asked this way asking if we should let this coaching staff have a little bit of time to prove everyone else wrong right and I think that both of these things can be true and I'm not taking a cop-out answer here it's okay to feel a little uneasy right now about the way that Auburn football's recruiting is going I have given credence to that we've had callers some callers have called in and have been uncertain with the way that recruiting is going right now others have been you know bullish and saying that this is still going to be a great recruiting year despite where things have started because it is early it is only June and June was the beginning of the lifting of the dead period right we have only seen less than a month or about a month of recruiting up to this point from Auburn football not a whole lot has happened it is early but despite the fact that Auburn is still you know it it is early but despite that fact Auburn's still lagging behind on average several commitments in this class compared to other teams like everybody else had the same starting point everybody else had all of the same issues that Auburn was having 
Everybody else couldn't go and see guys in person, couldn't get guys on campus. Now, you can make the argument that that hurts Auburn a little bit more because you're selling the campus, you're selling the community, you're selling the Auburn experience, the Auburn family, and you have to get guys in person to be able to sell that effectively, which is even maybe more of a point in the corner that you should give this coaching staff time because with this recruiting group, this class, you've been able to do none of that. You haven't even been able to to lay the, the, the seeds. You haven't even been able to to plant the seeds for that the, the plant has not been able to grow you have not been able to build that type of relationship with those players so this coaching staff really is I think starting from zero starting starting from scratch with this recruiting class and beyond because they weren't able to get these guys on campus because of the coronavirus pandemic and the restrictions that were put on recruiting so on one hand I do think you do have to give this coaching staff time they are starting from scratch and they have little to no relationships in the Southeast. This is, it, it's it's a very difficult situation for Auburn, but equally so, I do think that it it should be a little concerning, right? That this coaching staff is starting from scratch. Do you, would you agree that Auburn should, at the end of this 2022 recruiting cycle, be somewhere in the top 25? Would you say that that's fair? Certainly, if Auburn's not in the top 25, they failed. Auburn is a program. I, I think if they don't get inside the top 20, they failed. I think you have to get in the top 20 because it, it, getting inside the top 20 is still like barely top eight in the SEC these days. Right, and that's not a great that that is not a great foundation for this coaching staff to succeed three or four years from now. So. I say top 20 at least is where they need to get. If you're outside of that, you failed. And and you look at this previous coaching staff and what they recruited Auburn. Auburn barely got into the top 25, top 20 in the previous recruiting class. You can't have two of those. Auburn barely got in the top eight, top nine this past class. You know you can't have back-to-back classes like that. Unfortunately, that may be the reality. I go back to this and why it should probably be a little bit concerning. I'm not freaking out. It's early. And the transfer portal helps you fill the gaps a little bit easier than you could in the past. So I'll dive into that in a moment. But I I go back to why it should be a little concerning is that Auburn is still behind everybody else in in commitments. Now, the top of it, the top top classes in the country right now that is based on overall points and whatnot and how many guys you get and their average rating. Yes, there are some classes out there that have have guys that are committed from 11 to 15, somewhere in that range in terms of total commits. Those are outliers. Your average right now is probably sitting somewhere between like 6 and 10, somewhere in there. That's probably the average amount of commitments right now. Auburn's sitting at 3. Right. Auburn's sitting at 3, and they're outside the top 60 right now in class rankings according to 24-7 sports. Auburn had the same starting point that everybody else had, and Auburn is very far behind 13th in the sec at this point it is early but auburn is starting from the back of the pack not the front of the pack and it's a new coaching staff and they're starting from scratch with these recruits and the way in which that they sell their program on the on the recruiting trail it's an uphill battle it really is but what could be the saving grace from this program is something that i've heard the drive talk about that i agree with them on is the transfer portal auburn may not take 15 play Auburn may not take more than 15 players in this year's recruiting class which is going to hurt them in recruiting rankings so I think now with the emergence of the transfer portal and that there are players that are no, that don't count towards these recruiting services rankings transfers don't unless they're a juco transfer FBS transfers have not counted towards that in the past unless they start counting that Auburn's recruiting 
ranking according to these class services will probably be lower than what you're accustomed to but you have to take into account what transfers are coming into the program and even those you have to evaluate differently a guy that's coming in that only has one year left of eligibility weighs a little bit different for me than a dude coming in that has three years of eligibility left right because tj finley to me feels like a feels like a 2021 commit he's like or a 2000 yeah 2021 commit like Demetrius Davis Auburn got a Auburn got a you know a high three-star low four-star quarterback there and TJ Finley so Auburn brought in two out of that class because of his age right so it's all you weigh it in different ways but the transfer portal does give Auburn an ability despite how low Auburn may be in the recruiting rankings to be able to make it up a little bit even with guys that still have a substantial amount of their eligibility remaining at college football two things Number one, if they've not done it already, I would love to see a site like 24-7 Sports or Rivals or something like that put together recruiting rankings for the transfer portal. Meaning at the end of the season, once the season starts, I want there, or as the, as the offseason's going on, I want to be able to see rankings as to some of the guys some of the teams that are the best as far as the the players that they've gotten in the transfer portal because I would assume that Auburn would be in the top 25 in that right and 24-7 sports transfer portal now they don't have like team rankings for that but like 24-7 sports transfer portal does like rank a lot of these transfers and give them like star values right but once again it does not like actually impact their class rankings that would be pretty nifty mm-hmm. though to have like a transfer portal class ranking because it would make pl- places like Auburn it'd make me as a fan feel more comfortable if I see like oh well I might not be doing well on the recruiting trail but I'm bringing in so many other guys that are in their freshman or sophomore seasons that are just as talented so in this and we don't know enough information yet because this is the first year that the transfer portal has really been used in its full-fledged sense where anybody can leave and get you know you get one freebie and then you got to take the waiver after your second transfer but how the transfer portal affects recruiting will be interesting because I do think that college football programs will take less high school high school seniors coming in as freshmen I think they will take less because you would prefer the players from you you would maybe prefer and I'll ask you this question then would you prefer a group of five player that showed out that maybe has two years of eligibility left showed his abilities in the first couple years is a group of five player would you prefer to take that guy that has two years of college football experience two years of college football experience in a college football weight room and developing his body but still has just two years of eligibility left in college football versus a four-star freshman or a three-star freshman maybe I should say a three-star freshman better because I still think college football teams are going to take the best high school recruits those are not going to be the ones that get trimmed it'll be the three stars that end up having to commit now to group of five group of five teams are going to get a higher caliber of freshmen now than they were previously because power five teams will not be taking those players to answer your question I think the majority of the, the, the time, in most cases, yes, I would rather have a group of five player, but I think also you have to take into account scenario and position because there maybe are some four-star freshmen that I'd want coming in if it was like a quarterback instead of a group of five player because if he's coming into a, a conference like the SEC, I almost feel like they're on the same level as far as exp- like caliber of talent and experience that they've gotten against elite competition. You have to now take into account in recruiting and I and I wonder how these coaches are approaching it when they look at their recruiting boards and, and look at how they're going to do it I, I would really be interested I would love to be a fly on the wall at some of these meetings that these coaches probably have in terms of what their recruiting strategy is and how they're trying to project out what they're going to do on this year's trail and in the future but you have to take into account now that every single offseason there will be 
high-end group of five and then low-tier power five programs that have players that will enter the transfer portal that have been showing out in college that are going to be looking to improve their situation. Right, right. Something else I was going to briefly mention earlier as far as Auburn's commitments. We were, we were talking about a question that a listener asked about how comfortable we should be with Auburn's three commitments in the class for 2022. Looking at the top 25, it's all Power 5 schools, but there are two teams that only have eight commitments out of that top 25, and those are Alabama and Clemson. Everybody else has more than that in the top 25. I want to see, again, Auburn get one or two guys before the season starts, but I'm not asking them to get a million because they're going to get their own in the, in the in the transfer portal, and they will get guys to come in in this class before the end of the 2022 recruiting cycle. It's going to happen. It's not like Auburn's going sit, to sit here, twiddle their thumbs, and be like, oh, well, we're not getting our five stars. Might as well just quit. Might as well just not. Let's just stop recruiting. No, they're going to get some guys. It's just a matter of time. It's going to happen. It's just I'm I, I'm not like concerned. I'm not like pulling the panic lever. I'm just I just want to see that first guy come in. If I had to give it a color, green is good, yellow is cause for concern, red is panic, I would give it a yellow right now for Auburn, just because it's early. But I do think you have to give it a yellow because I look at commitments. I'm gonna zero in on the SEC. These are the recruiting rankings right now, according to twenty four seven sports and the two thousand twenty two SEC football team rankings. LSU right now leads the conference at number one. They've got eleven commits. Georgia's at number two with eleven commits. Three, Texas A and M ten commits. Four, Mississippi State, fourteen commits. Five, Alabama, eight commits. Six, Kentucky, eleven commits. Seven, Arkansas, twelve commits. Eight, Florida, ten commits. 9 Missouri Mm. 9 commits 10 South Carolina 11 commits 11 Vanderbilt 9 commits 12 Tennessee 6 commits 13 Ole Miss 5 commits Auburn is last in the SEC right now in recruiting according to 24-7 sports with 3 commits outside of 2 teams everybody else has at least 8 commits Auburn's definitely behind right now okay like that is not positive you can't spin that in a positive way for me yeah we're sitting at a solid yellow right now we're not hitting panic yet but we're but we're alert we are alert I'm scared I think it's more of just anything that it's a sign that right now this coaching staff is starting behind everyone else now will they recover I think they will recover well enough to get inside the top 20 in recruiting but that's like eighth in the SEC so that I think that's that's where I'm right now I have them projected at the moment in my mind if I just had to guess right now where Auburn's going to get to because it's Auburn Auburn's people want to go play at Auburn Auburn's going to get commits so to answer the question from our text line once again if you want to text us 334-564-1840 to answer the question I would say that yes it is okay to be concerned but also do give this coaching staff time to to figure things out let's take a quick break here when we come back we will do Auburn football schedule analysis we take a look at the Arkansas Razorbacks today you're listening to on the line On the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. We'll be right back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. We've got about 40 minutes left in the show. We have been rocketing through today's show. It's been a fun one. And we go back to our text line again, 334-564-1840. We have another message to answer from one of our listeners. 
So we got one of our interns, intern Taco. We didn't uh, tell him to text us. Submit a question. We did not tell him to text us. He decided uh, of his own merit and his own volition to... to He's off the clock right now and yeah. he texted us. What's he doing? Listening to the show. Really appreciate it, Taco. But he asked us, which incoming freshman has the biggest impact this season for Auburn? And to not include transfers. Just this freshman class coming in in 2021. We were sitting here debating it for for quite a for, for quite a minute. It's it was on like, the well, defensive side of the ball. It has to be. Auburn really didn't bring in a whole lot on offense. That's going to that as freshmen. That's going to come in and play right away. Because I, I Tank Bigsby's got running back locked down. There's not going to be a freshman quarterback that starts over Bo Nix or T.J. Findlay. So Hal Presley's gone. Landon King is six yeah. string. So I, I don't I don't see much going on, and then the receivers are sophomores now. So I don't see much going on on the offensive side of the ball there. So you go to the defense, and I think there's two bona fide answers there. One definitely immediately more so than the other. I think the other one though by the end of the year could end up being possibly more valuable with his role. But the obvious answer on the defensive side of the ball right out the gates, and what we all concluded is all of our answers here: Lee Hunter at defensive tackle with Auburn's new scheme. This guy could start out the gates. He he impressed me during the spring. He was able to get out. He was more mobile than I anticipated him being. And something that I've harped on this offseason is that Auburn needs to find some guys that can actually get after the quarterback and bring him down. Auburn needs some edge rushers, something badly. It, looking at Lee Hunter and Dylan Brooks, I think you're going to get two, two edge rushers, two really talented edge rushers. They're both almost the exact same size. Lee Hunter, 6'5", 292. Brooks is 6'5", 290. I'm really excited to see both of these guys on the field. I want to say, I, I want to say Brooks, but the talent of Lee Hunter compels me to say it's going to be him. He is going to be the most impactful, impactful freshman for Auburn in 2021. I think Lee Hunter gets onto the field quicker than Dylan Brooks. Yeah, because Lee Hunter was here for the spring. Mm-hmm. He's been in the he's been in the weight program. Dylan Brooks is coming later here. Dylan Brooks gets onto the campus, you know, for fall camp. That's when he really gets to begin to show this coaching staff what they can do. So I think that happens later for Dylan Brooks in the regular season. But what I meant earlier when I said that one of these guys could be more valuable than the other. Dylan Brooks could be the missing piece on defense that Auburn has been looking for at as a pass rusher, actually being able to generate sacks. Right now, Derek Hall is, is the most bona fide answer to that on that side of the football. But you're going to have bookends on both sides, and Dylan Brooks still offers you stuff more than just a pass rusher. He's yeah. more than just an edge guy. Dylan Brooks is an interesting selection here, but I think, and, and he did ask in his question immediately, right? He said immediate yes, impact. Immediate I think it's Lee impact. Hunter. I'm Dylan lo- Brooks, though, by the end, could be more valuable. I'm looking for the next Carl Lawson, Jeff Holland type player. Big Cat Bryant, but actually effective. I'm looking <laughs> for that kind of player. I'm looking for somebody that can actually get home. Don't do the the new UCF edge rusher like that, man. No, he'll have, he'll have 100 <laughs> sacks because it's a group of five. But it, it, against the, that, you look at that Georgia game, I know he had injury issues, but he would be in the backfield. He'd be coming for Stetson Bennett, and then Stetson Bennett, who's like 5'2", 140, is like just evading him out there. It's, how is that even Don't possible? Don't do Stetson Bennett like that. He's I'm throwing shade all that. over the place, man. I'm feeling it. <laughs> If you want to call into the show, 334-321-1390, as well as text us at 334-564-1840. Auburn football schedule analysis series. Time to talk about the Arkansas Razorbacks. We've gone through Georgia up to this point. We continue our series now today with the Arkansas Razorbacks. We sit on the offensive side of the ball. Let's give out some grades, Lance. Go for it. 
All right, boys. Start with the quarterback. I think KJ Jefferson is in in this quarterback room is sitting at a solid C. Uh, KJ Jefferson's been here for a couple of seasons. He's probably not going to be a great quarterback, but I think he should be solid. I think he's about as average in college football as it gets. He's sitting right there in the middle. We saw him in limited action last season in 2020, or yeah, 2020, and we actually got to see him a little bit in 2019, and he was effective as a runner. Uh, just uh, just slightly, and he was he was not very efficient as a passer. His career completion percentage is sitting at forty eight point seven. That's not great for the kids at home. It needs to be somewhere between sixty and sixty five. If we're looking for a quarterback, that's actually kind of good. In that Missouri game, he really did tear it up, though. I think, actually, the 295 yards and three touchdowns isn't all from that Missouri game. Actually, he was 18 of 33, 274 yards and three three touchdowns in that Missouri game, but he was only completing 54% of his passes. I, I, there's There's so many ways that you can go with this Arkansas team in 2021, especially offensively. I mean, they could be boom or bust in my mind, but K.J. Jefferson, we don't have enough of a sample size of him yet, and he's not been incredibly efficient in the in the moments that we've seen him. Uh, just looking at his game logs, it's just he'll, he'll come in and he'll, he'll be – he'll, he'll be off target is what it looks like. He's not very accurate throwing the football – um, but this this Arkansas offense does bring back a few other pieces that I think are going to help him out and boost him statistically. And who knows, we may get a full season to Jefferson and we may look back and say, man, he's actually one of the top 25 quarterbacks in the country. We don't know. He's, he's, he's kind of an unknown like Emory Jones. Um, but based off of what we've seen and based off of what I pro- I'm projecting, C-tier quarterback. What's interesting about Arkansas scheme is they don't do a whole lot of pushing the ball downfield. I think when you look at their offensive scheme and these statistics coming from pro football focus, 25% of their pass attempts, screen pass. This is a Gus Malzahn offense. Kendall Bryles runs a very similar offense to Gus Malzahn 54% of the time when they throw the football. It's a play-action pass. The passing game is very similar to Malzahn. They were 107th nationally in terms of how often they called a deep pass. Now, that's the big difference there because Malzahn loved to throw the deep ball oftentimes when it was not an opportune time to do so. But the Arkansas offensive scheme in terms of passing the football lives at or within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. And it's not an overly difficult offense. I mean, this is modern day. They're putting a one-read system in there with RPOs and whatnot. They're they're going to protect K.J. Jefferson pretty well because they're not going to give him a lot of situations where he has to take a long time to read the defense and it's not going to put a lot of pressure on this offensive line to have to protect him for long periods of time he is an athlete he'll probably get you a little bit more on the ground than Felipe Franks was able to get you even though Felipe Franks was deceptively athletic KJ Jefferson though I still don't think he is the quarterback that's going to take this Arkansas offense to the next level that is necessary for them to get to 500 or a bowl game I'm we talked yesterday about Arkansas versus Mississippi State you know who could get to a bowl game we talked about that a little bit this scheme I think could hold back Arkansas a little bit it just reminds me too much of Malzahn and living at or around the line of scrimmage seen time and time again it doesn't work in the SEC when you don't have better athletes and Arkansas doesn't have better athletes when you look at this running back room I kind of like what I see 
and I think there's a lot of reason for optimism. I have them hovering somewhere between a C and a B. I really liked what I saw from Traylon Smith, the the all-purpose running back last season. Five foot nine, one ninety, was incredibly active. And that Arkansas Auburn game, I believe he had like eighty one. Yeah, looking at the, his numbers on ESPN, twenty one carries, eighty one yards rushing, and then he had seven receptions, six receptions for seventy eight yards and a touchdown. They were getting him a lot of touches in that Auburn game. Outside of that, I, I don't know if they were getting him a ton of cut, touches. I don't know if he was going to be he, – he was a focal point of last year's offense, but I think he's going to be a focal point this year. I think Arkansas is going to be able to throw a little bit out of the backfield. You talk about them throwing screen passes. I think he's going to be a reciprocant of that very often. And you look at his numbers rushing the ball – Overall from last season, 710 yards, 5.3 yards per carry, and five touchdowns. I'm happy with that. I'm really happy with that. When you look at the backup, TJ Hammonds, he's been with the program since 2016. He plays a Stanton Truitt type role. He's a hybrid wide receiver converted. Uh, I, I think it was in 2017. He uh, is actually, he he's, he's not going to be on the field often based on what I can see with his snap count, but he's definitely going to be a factor. I have this room somewhere between a C and a B because I really like what the optimism for this Arkansas offense. I think it is going to score points. Now this defense is a really big question mark for me, but I really like this backfield. If I had this backfield, if like if Auburn had this backfield, I'd be happy with it. Wow, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be like because it doesn't the top. have the top end talent. I would be content. It's deeper, maybe, is what you're trying to say. Yeah. Talk to me about this receiving core. We don't have a lot of time for it. You got about a minute and a half, but Traylon Burks is special. Traylon Burks is really, really special. If Mike Woods had stayed, this this would receiver room would be B tier. I think Burks is going to carry. You look at his numbers: 820 receiving yards last season, 16.1 yards per catch, seven touchdowns. Traylon Smith actually is the second leading receiver coming back on this team, the running back. It's be interesting to see how many more passes he catches out of the backfield. They've got an interesting tight end in Blake Kern, who wasn't incredibly productive last season, but he he he's going to be more involved in this offense, I believe. And then their their receiver, Athlon, has their third receiver projected to be Devion Warren, who is a senior. He is more of a return man, and we're going to talk about special teams later in the show. But as a freshman in 2017, Warren led the SEC and ranked 13th nationally with a 26.3 kickoff return average. He returned 29 kicks for 765 yards, and as a senior last season, returned a team-high 16 kickoff kickoffs for 326 yards, including a 20 point or including averaging 20.4 yards per return. So they've got some talent in this receiver room. I like what I see from this offense. The offensive line's a bit of a question mark, but we can get to that later. I really, though, offensively, I like what Arkansas is bringing back. If I were a middle-of-the-pack SEC team, I would be very content with this roster offensively. So in our debate between Arkansas and Mississippi State, and we don't have a whole lot of time to talk about it because there's a sting right there. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, which way's out more for you? Arkansas offense, Mississippi State defense. Yesterday you said Mississippi State defense. After you've had a little bit more time to evaluate the Arkansas team, let's talk about it. When we come back, which of these teams do you favor a little bit more? Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Got about 30 minutes left in the show here on the Tuesday edition. Going to head to our phone lines now, 334-321-1390. We got Ed on the line with us. Ed, how's your Tuesday going? Oh, it's going great, guys. How are y'all doing? We're doing really well. What's on your mind? Uh, I was just going to call. I, I wasn't sure about the colors on your uh, – did you say green, yellow, and red? Or Yeah, I said so in terms of Auburn recruiting. I said green, you're, you're, you're doing all right right now. Yellow – there, there's some caution, you know, so a little bit of a cause for concern, and then red panic. And right now, I'm saying with Auburn recruiting, I'm going to say yellow. Uh, yeah, I, you know, just and I'm, you know, I'm just kind of playing around. But uh, you know, if we're 13th and and we're sitting at the commits we got right now, I don't think anybody could say a green. You should have added the orange in there, kind of, you know, it's dang near red. But uh, you know, I like. Carson, you know, but uh, I hope he doesn't bank too much on the transfer portal because you know what high school seniors are, you know, are coming out. And for the most part, you're going to have guys transfer, but not all of them, you know? Yeah. And I was saying this earlier. I think what happens in the transfer portal, like there will be a group of players out there every single year from – group of five and then like smaller power five schools that are that are playing really well but they're looking to improve their situation as they're going into probably their junior year trying to get drafted right and all of those guys will be hotly contested by the best teams in the country and Auburn's only going to get maybe you know one or two of those guys every year you still need to rely on freshmen and and good freshmen exactly I, I, I really hope that that's what you know they're doing uh, I, I hope, you know, because uh, maybe six, you know, uh, scholarships next year, you, you know, for transfer. But uh, I hate that we lost that, you know, the kid, the offensive lineman just committed to Florida State, you know. Uh, I think that, you know, maybe in a year or two that the connections will be made that that doesn't happen as much. And, you know, the, the Eston Harris kid that, you know, offensive lineman, he transferred from Borgard to Auburn. So That's right. playing with Auburn this year. But, you know, we've still got a chance at him, and he's a very good he, a tackle with this other guy with interior. But uh, from a set, you know, which is just 30 minutes. But, uh, I, you know, I, I've got to I, I've got to say I'm a little bit con- uh, concerned, you know, because – you know the numbers and just and when you were saying five stars, I haven't seen a whole lot of five stars. You know, you say we're not going to get all the five stars. That you know, we need to get some four stars. And but oh, I was going to tell you one other thing. I saw the uh, running to a gentleman yesterday, the offensive lineman. that kind of had to sit out spraying with the shoulder. Sure. And and, and he uh, Brandon he uh, he said he's doing very well. You know. Talk, to a minute, he's doing very well and supposed to be, you know, right there and in good shape. That's great because I think he's Auburn's best offensive lineman. They need him back. Yep, yep. He, he's a real nice guy, too. Uh, all right, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it, Ed. Hope you have a good afternoon. Yes, sir. That was Ed on the line with us. Number to call 334-321-1390. I think Ed makes a great I think Ed makes a great point. It is it is cause for concern. I I don't know how Auburn's sitting at 14th in the SEC right now and recruiting couldn't concern people right they were at 13th 
before I checked today and then I checked 24-7 sports recruiting rankings they have a minus one there by their name they dropped into 14th in the SEC that's calls for concern in my book I think legitimately there's no other way to look at it other than concern like you were saying there's no positive way to spin that that's what the ranking is it's worst in the SEC and people want to say it's early but it's early for everybody and I already made the point that there are three teams in the SEC that have less than eight commits everybody else has at least eight commits so it's not it's not like everybody else is struggling to get commitments for this class it's three teams it's it's Vanderbilt or excuse me not Vanderbilt it's Tennessee Ole Miss and Auburn and those are your three teams at the bottom of the SEC but let's head to the phone lines again 334-321-1390 we got Ty on the line with us Ty what's up what's going on guys um I think you're going to see a lot of difference. I mean, I think one of the biggest factors that I think a lot of us Auburn fans are we kind of kind of been like, whoa, what's going on here? You know, we've had a lot of transfers. I think we've had more transfers in the SEC than anybody as well. Tennessee's and got think, Auburn beat there, but they are up there. Okay. Um, well, I figured, you know, Tennessee with the penalty coming or whatever's going on with them, yeah, I forgot about that. So they probably had a couple more. But, um, you know, you look at the new transfer rule as well, that probably played a big factor in it. And I think that will play a big factor in our in our recruiting next year. Not uh, only – well, I think we'll be on the opposite side of that. I think uh, Coach Harson will sell his, um, his program and what he's doing and um, – you know, guys, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't care if we got five, four, or three stars. I'm really interested in the player development yep. because I, I don't, you know, you, you look at what, you know, Dan Mullen was doing over at Mississippi State. You know, he wasn't getting, you know, players better than us. I mean, his recruiting classes were nowhere near the top 10 or 20 every year, but yet he was able to develop an offense, develop a quarterback. I mean, he always had somebody out there slinging the ball that could put him in the game, you know. Um, and that's more more my concern. What I'm looking at for next year, I want to see. I want to see how many steps does 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 Bo Nix take? How many steps does Tank take on offense? You know, that was. I, I mean, again, I think if 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 Gus could have developed a quarterback, I, I mean, not only would he have won more games, but probably still be the coach. You know. And early on, player development is going to be a big deal because, as we pointed out, it's an uphill battle with recruiting right now. Auburn, like we said, worst in the SEC right now in recruiting, and they they sell that Auburn experience. That Auburn experience, they they don't have that relationship with these players because they haven't yeah, been able to get that's, on campus. That's, that's 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 next year and the year after. I want to see what he's what he's got right now. There's one thing, Gus. Now, Gus could recruit. Gus could get, at least get some talent on the field. And he's got talent at Auburn. Now, I'm not saying he's going to go undefeated next year, but, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm thinking better than a 6-4 and four season. Right. Um, what are your predictions for it? I, I really see, I mean, I really see an 8-4, 9-3 be a good one. Um, I think we beat somebody we're not supposed to and we lose to somebody we're not supposed to. You so, think you think Malzahn um, underachieved with the talent that he was bringing in during his time at Auburn? Yes, hundred percent. Yes. Do, have you, um, do you watch Bill Clark at UAB at all? Have you watched the Blazers at all during the past few years? I have a little bit, not as much to make a really uh, informed opinion about it. But I mean, yes, I, I've watched him because you know, anytime 
they'll come on, you know, during the week, any football game during the weekday, you know, I'll, I'll watch. And I watched a couple of theirs last year and, and you know, saw some highlights. And, and, and he does develop players. And, and, you know, that's something that's, you know, I'm going to be honest with you now, and I and I, I know I sound like a like a uh, an Auburn fan saying this, but, you know, Nick Saban is not the best on-day coach to me at all, nowhere near, probably in the top ten in college football right now. And that's what I mean. I'm talking about making game-time decisions, mm-hmm. plays, and, and, and you know, Nick – plans better than anybody and the one thing he does is recruit and player development better than anybody you know it ain't hard to go out there with a team full of 11 five stars on offense and 11 five stars on defense and just whoop up on people i mean that's that's what it is but you got somebody like brian harson and Derek mason who has been at smaller schools and done more and put, put and put people in the pros that weren't supposed to be in the pros when they came to their program, and I think you'll start to see that a whole bunch. And this is something um, that I've said about this is something I've said about Saban a lot is when has he ever won a game that he wasn't supposed to win? Even when he's been at Alabama, there hasn't been a lot of those, right? I mean, he's been supposed to win pretty much. He's been favored pretty much to win majority of his games or almost all of his games. But the few games that he has not been favored to win, and I think back to that national championship where Clemson shellacked them, you know. You look, you look at it, he has not won a lot of those games where Alabama has not been as good as the other team. He has not no, added and, to that. And and if the game plan don't go as planned, he usually loses. And the only time I can ever think of something that he called and changed the whole entire scrap, the whole entire game plan at halftime is the, is the National Championship versus Georgia. And, I mean, you know, I hate to say it, but that was more Tua than just – I mean, Georgia wasn't ready for Tua come out and throw the ball over the field. They game plan for Jalen all day, every day. And so Kirby got caught on his heels on that one. But other than that, I can't think of another game where Alabama was down and they changed their game plan and came back and won. Uh, I mean, it's usually – it was, a you know, a, a toe-to-toe the whole game or something like that. You know, I mean, it just – you know, you look at his games with Ole Miss and stuff like that. When things go wrong and the plan don't work, they look, they look like deer on the, you know, in headlights over there on the sideline. They just, they just basically, they, they hey, look, give it to our five star and see if he can run the ball down the field. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I want to see what Carson does with Tank in the offensive line, how far they come. I think that is way more important right now than recruiting because, I mean, you can get as many players you want to, but if you can't develop them, I mean, you're gonna get, you're gonna, you're gonna get one contract and that's it. You're gonna be gone too. So, 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 as always, man, guys, War Damn Eagle. Appreciate it, Todd. Don't be a stranger, my man. Go ahead, Lance. Something that really excites me about Harson, and I've compared him to Bill Clark on this show so many different times, but that UAB program was literally dead. Nothing. Starting from scratch, just, just yeah. piecing guys together, and he managed to pull that unit together and within a span of two years get them to their conference title game. That is player development right there. And I believe Harson possesses the exact same thing that Bill Clark does. I'm really excited to see what he does with the players on roster this year. I think Ty made a really great point. I'm not saying we're winning the national title, but we should be pretty good because the talent that Malzahn recruited is talented. Right, Simple as that. and he makes a good point. He said, you know, that when he was talking about recruiting, you know, that's two, three years down the line, right? Mm-hmm. That is what what has happened recently. That is a little bit more down the line. But I was saying, you know, right now, 
Like, this is about player development. This isn't about recruiting. Right now, Auburn's success this year is about what Brian Hartson can get out of this group of Gus Malzahn's players. And you're right. They are talented. Malzahn did not do a horrible job of recruiting. Horrible on the offensive line side of things. But outside of that, he left him with talent at skill positions. Mm -hmm. Auburn's just as talented as pretty much anybody else in the SEC when it comes to skill positions. Now, in the trenches, not a whole lot was left there. But I want to say this, too. You were talking about Brian Hartson being able to develop players. That's the scene in the group of five. Their program success is not predicated on recruiting. It is predicated on development. Now, Boise State's a little bit different in that because they can get a higher echelon player than your average Mountain West school. But still, at its heart, if you are a group of five program, you have to know something about player development in order to be successful year in and year out because that is what the name of the game is over there. They're not getting high-profile guys out at Boise State. They're getting a little bit better than your average Mountain West team, but they're not getting high-profile players across the board on the national stage in college football. You have to develop those players. So I think it is fair to say that despite the fact that Brian Harson was at a Mountain West school at Boise State and they were one of the premier group of five programs in college football, Brian Harson it's weird to me like Brian Harson was a part of Chris Peterson's culture at Boise State which everybody views as legitimate and that that was a top tier program in college football during that time yet people think that Brian Harson doesn't know there there are folks out there that that don't that think that Brian Harson doesn't know a thing about player development or, or or building a championship culture or building a winning culture he was there he knows about it he was he was there at Boise State when Chris Peterson was building them into the group of five juggernaut that they were at their height he was there. And something else interesting to note is Harson was able to continue to sustain success after Peterson left. Exactly. How did he do that? By player continuing to develop players. He's going to be able to do it in the SEC. And like he mentioned, with, with coordinators like with like Mason and Bobo, they're going to get their guys where they want them to be, and Harson's going to be able to be right there with them. There's Again, I keep saying this over and over and over on the show, there's a lot of of different ways to look at this scenario in 2021 positively. The more I look at it, there's a lot more things going for Auburn past the surface level. There's a lot of really good things going on in this program. Now, does he know anything about recruiting? I don't know. I don't know. We'll find find out, out, right? But Auburn's 14th in recruiting right now. Early, we'll see how he does, you know. But And I think that probably is more of a key to his success long-term. I think Brian Harson knows about tactics. I think Brian Harson knows about player development. I think he knows about that. And early on with Gus Malzahn's players, that may end up being a great match and he may be able to get good results for the first couple of years of his career. But in terms of sustaining long-term success, there's no doubt about it. Jimmy's and Joe's, man, they end up winning out. And if Auburn wants to be top end, you know, winning 10 games, nine games every year in the SEC and competing for titles every three, four years, you're going to have to recruit well yes, that, sir. And, and develop players. That that deserves its place too, but can't deny Jimmy's and Joe's important. I really like that call. Ty, don't be a stranger. We want to hear back from you in the future. Let's wrap up the show on the other side of this break. You're listening to On The Line. On the line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Wrapping up the Tuesday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. It's been a fun show. We appreciate all the calls, all the texts we've got today. 
we really appreciate it. It's always fun when we get to engage with our listeners. Just remember, in the future, you can always call us, 334-321-1390. Text us as well, 334-564-1840. Especially for you folks out there on the podcast, if you're listening to the show after the fact and you're like, man, I I, I wish I had listened to this thing live so I could have texted them, you can still text us. Text us at 334-564-1840. We'll address it on the next show. Once again, 334-564-1840. The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck following us from 4 to 6 on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Before we wrap up the show here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. It's the fifth edition of Auditions on America's Got Talent from 7 to 9 on NBC. Some movie selections for tonight. Here's a good conversation starter. If you could take one thing to a deserted island, what would it be? Think about it while you watch Castaway at 6 on Freeform. 2019's Men in Black International is on FX at 6.30. Ever played hooky? Ferris Bueller's Day Off is on IFC at 7. In live sports, it's a pivotal game for the NBA playoffs between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Atlanta Hawks. The Bucks are up 2-1 in the series with tonight's game at 7.30 on TNT. Game 2 of the College World Series final is on ESPN at 6. Vanderbilt took Game 1 over Mississippi State with the Commodores looking to take the national championship with a win tonight. Tuesday night, MLB Baseball is out on the West Coast with an NL West rivalry between the San Francisco Giants and the Los Angeles Dodgers at 9 on ESPN. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. All right, Lance. Going into our last segment, I was going to ask you this question, but once again, amazing engagement today. I want to ask you the question now. We were talking about Arkansas. We were grading out their offense and whatnot, and we've talked a bit about this, but now I want to get a final verdict here as you've looked at some, a little bit about Mississippi State and a lot about the Arkansas team right now. Which do you favor more right now? Because it seems like the strength of Mississippi State's the defensive side of the ball. The strength of the Arkansas team is offense. Which of those two do you value a little bit more in terms of that sixth SEC West team that could go to a bowl game? I don't think that we I – don't, I don't see a scenario this year where seven SEC West teams get to six wins at bowl eligibility. Who is it in that sixth spot, Arkansas or Mississippi State? It's really, really tough because the Razorbacks get the Bulldogs at home. I do value this Mississippi State defense more than this Arkansas offense. You talk, I've talked about how Mississippi State's been able to consistently put out NFL talent, even though they're not necessarily recruiting at an NFL level, and it's all over. Linebackers, defensive linemen, even safeties, we see guys like Darius Slay going and playing it really, really well in the NFL. He, he was at the state, right? He was at state. I believe Slay was. I might be wrong on that. I'm pretty sure he was. I, I'd have to go check, but... They've been able to put out talent. I trust this Mississippi State defense. I really trust what Zach Arnett has been able to do year one with the Bulldogs. I know they weren't great, but nobody was in the SEC. I think they're going to be able to make major strides forward, and it's going to be just enough to where Mississippi State's offense might not be efficient, but they will have games where there are mismatches and they exploit those against other teams and they score a lot of points. Arkansas could be one of those where they play really well defensively and their offense just happens to match up well. I think Mississippi State, and even ESPN agrees, and I don't necessarily like their FPI stuff. I think it's just more for show and more for just fun and more for for engagement, but ESPN seems to like this Mississippi State team as well. I think the Bulldogs have more likely of a chance of making a bowl game than the Razorbacks do because, again, you look at that schedule for Arkansas, it is just so, so tough. Now, if they beat... Texas week two completely changes my perspective on this team, but I right right now don't see that happening. Both teams may struggle to get to a bowl game with their non-conference schedules because 
if you drop one non-conference game, you now are in a scenario where you have to go three and five of the SEC. And I'm not sure if I like on either of those team schedules, three teams for Mississippi State or Arkansas to beat the SEC. And I got Arkansas losing to Texas. And then Mississippi State's got to play Memphis, Louisiana Tech, NC State, and then uh, one other non-conference game that is a cupcake that doesn't really matter there. But still, like those are three potential... Those are trap games for Mississippi State. Louisiana Tech's been one of the better teams in Conference USA. Memphis yep. has been one of the better teams in the American Athletic. Mm-hmm. And NC State has been an above-average team in the ACC. There are no easy games there yep. for State or Arkansas. Both of them could miss a bowl game, I can see. You could only see five teams out of the SEC West go to a bowl game, which is strange for most years. But that's it for the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Noah Garner and Lance Dahl will be back with you tomorrow. The Drive with Bill Cameron coming up from 4 to 6 here on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll see you tomorrow, same time, same place. You know where to find us.